Welcome to the Faith Lakeside Podcast. Each week you'll hear another great message that will help you know God and make Him known in your life. Join us each Sunday at 1045 a.m. and throughout the week in small groups to make the most of your learning experiences. Now, sit back, relax with a great cup of coffee and a notebook and enjoy this week's message. Well, this December, we are seeking to understand the incarnation of Jesus Christ. Now, that means just Jesus becoming like us. We all have flesh, right? If you're a carnivore, that means you like to eat flesh, right? Uh, Hopefully animal flesh only. Um, Let's keep things uh, sensible here. But we're trying to understand how Jesus... The creator of the world became like us. And last week, as we were looking at things, we had uh, Pastor Michael brought the incarnation of peace. There it is. Peace. Jesus is peace incarnate. That this completely unfathomable peace of God became flesh and became understandable to us. We, uh, we had a little bit of a deep dive into the uh, theology of the Trinity. And who here now understands the Trinity? <laughs> I know, it was deep, right? I mean, if you've heard it before, you're kind of like, okay, I know the p- bullet points But you don't understand it, right? None of us do. If you think you understand it, you're probably in heresy. (laughs) You're probably in doctrinal error. You've either elevated um, Jesus to, uh, to some kind of spirit being that when he came that Christmas night, he was like this glowing orb of, uh, of energy. And, and as Jesus walked on the earth, he was kind of floating over the earth. We're going to be talking about that today. Because just as the understanding the Trinity, how God is three and yet one, that was hard to understand, impossible to understand. And yet, unfortunately for you, we're going to be going even deeper. Something that's even harder to understand. And that is that Jesus is love incarnate. The love of God is harder to understand than the Trinity. If you don't think so, then you don't understand the scope. You don't understand the depth of God's love. Because his love for us is so unfathomable. Maybe you're like, well, who couldn't love me, right? Sometimes we get like that, right? We're a little self-focused, you know. We've watched a, you know, a YouTube video that's, you know, self-help, you know. I am strong. I am powerful, right? <laughs> and, uh, and we're like, yeah, I deserve things. But those may pump you up for a moment. 
But I think we all kind of come off of that and we realize, yeah, that's not really true. That's, the world doesn't revolve around me. You can't just name it and claim it. You can't just project positivity and everyone else will bring positivity back to you, right? If you ever tried that, it doesn't work out so well, right? Someone, someone will bring you down a few pegs. But God is love, we are told. We're going to talk about the sacrifice, the sacrifices of Christ's incarnation. Pastor Mike was talking about that last week a little bit. Why? Why didn't God just forgive us? When someone wrongs you, someone cuts you off in traffic, and you forgive them, you better forgive them, <laughs> right? Maybe, maybe it takes a few minutes, but, but you better forgive them, right? What's your process of forgiving somebody who has wronged you? Do you uh, get born into an alien world, live your whole life to take their penalty upon yourself? Of course not. <laughs> One, because we can't do that. And secondly, we just forgive them, right? In our hearts, we say, I forgive them. If they've hurt you more deeply, you might have to forgive them and then forgive them again and then forgive them again because your heart keeps coming up with uh, ill will towards them. To forgive someone means to lay down your right to punish them. And as humans, the more deeply we're hurt, the more prone we are to pick that back up again and start wanting bad things for them. But why didn't God just forgive us? He didn't. And because he is much wiser, because he's the creator of the whole universe, maybe we should pay attention. He demonstrated his own love for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. But not only did he die for us, but he lived for us. And that's what we celebrate here on, in Christmas time, is that Jesus came and walked amongst us. Easter, we celebrate that he not only died for our sins, but he was raised again for, for our new life. So the incarnation of Jesus, Jesus becoming flesh, becoming like us, I don't know about you, but it's a little inconvenient to be made of flesh, isn't it? Sometimes the flesh hurts. <laughs> you know, you're going around the house and something's out of place, or maybe you just take a wrong turn in the dark and you stub your toe and uh, your flesh hurts. Sometimes the flesh doesn't stop hurting. As you get older, the pains grow. You, it's your body telling you you're getting older, right? It hurts more and more. It's not what we want. Who here would like to be in heaven with a perfect body that doesn't ever hurt? No more crying, no more tears. It's just like the, the people Jesus invited, the perfect person to throw the stone at the uh, adulterous woman. It said that, uh, that they went away first, the older first. <laughs> I, saw, I saw the people waving their hands were the, uh, the ones amongst us who are a little more up there in age. Younger people are like, man, still pretty good down here. I got things to look forward to. 
Don't worry, the world will, will get rid of that out of your optimism, right? As you get to sur- survive the world a little more, you will understand more and more why getting to what's next is something. So we're going to be in Isaiah 53. So if you have a Bible and you want to turn to that, or if you want to scroll with me to Isaiah 53, you can as well. I'm going to have all the verses up here on the screen as well. We'll be highlighting some things as we walk through what does it mean that Jesus is love incarnate? We saw this uh, definition last week that Pastor Michael shared with us. This is part of it. Incarnate means made manifest or made comprehensible. We try to explain the Trinity. And really the answer at the end of the day, that's the only comprehensible answer is Jesus. And when we start talking about the love of God, we can try to explain it. But in the end, we can only just say Jesus. Jesus is what makes the love of God comprehensible. I'm going to be breaking apart what Jesus sacrificed for us. And so here's the challenge. Verse 1 of chapter 53 of Isaiah. It's somewhere in the middle if you're still looking for it. Don't be afraid to use the table of contents. If you're, it's a bigger one, so it's, you can find it sometimes just by guessing. Who has believed what we have heard? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? That's going to be the challenge for today. Who has believed? Have you believed the love of God? Have you believed what has been revealed in the Gospels? As it says in James, if we believe but yet we don't have any action, our faith is dead. So how can we tell who's the believer, who's believing? How do we know the answer to that first one? It's who responds? Who does? Well, Steve, you can't judge. You're right. I can't judge. No one's giving me a gavel. I don't hit people with it, so... If I had a gavel, that might be different. Uh, I think all men secretly wish they had a gavel um, because it's just cool. But we're not to judge each other and condemn each other. But we are to be discerning, right? Especially when it comes to us. Well, in my heart... That's, that's nice that it's in your heart. But if it's truly in your heart, it's going to come out your hands. It's going to come out your mouth. It's going to come out in how you live your life. So don't, don't tell me about all the warm and fuzzies that you have if it doesn't impact your life. How do we know that Jesus loved us? Did he sit in heaven and go, I like you guys. In fact, I love you guys. No. While it's important to tell your children that you love them, it's important to live that love out too, right? 
abusive parents tell their children that they love them and then act in ways that are not appropriate, right? And some of you have been, have had very bad experiences with people who said they loved you but then did not treat you well. Some of you are currently in relationships like that. Oh, but in my heart, God sees through that and any discerning person in this room can see through that. Someone can fool you for a while, right? Someone can fool you. But when we look at the love of God, we don't have to just look at what God has to say. God doesn't just say, I am love, I love you, and then, so I've, I've forgiven your sins. You're, you're good. God demonstrates his own love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, we're told. Every time that we see the love of God, we see it connected to action. We see it connected to what's the proof? Where's the evidence? It's not... We don't have evidence of feelings other than sacrifice. That's the true thing, right? If someone says they love you and they want to evidence it through some way that's other than sacrifice, they're really just playing a game. If you want to know who loves you in your life, who makes sacrifices for you? Who, who would be there when you need them? That's who loves you. So who has heard, who has believed this incomprehensible thing that we've heard? But now it has been revealed. The second part of that question, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? The answer to us is everybody. It has been revealed to everybody. We have it written in a book. It's been revealed. It's not secret. The things of Jesus were not done in some corner of the world. While I know Israel seems very far away from all of us, who here thinks Israel feels kind of far away? Because Pittsburgh is the center of the universe, clearly. (laughs) If you look at the world and you're kind of like, well, where do the biggest continents all meet? You could very easily point to Israel and say, that's the center of the world. God did these things not in secret, but in the center of the world, in the biggest empire of the time. These things weren't done quietly. God sent angels to sing choruses. The announcement was made before um, shepherds, but also kings from Iran journeyed all the way over to Israel because they saw it in the stars announced in heaven. These things were not secret. Everyone has heard. And the Bible is the most popular book in the entire world, the best-selling book of all time. You can get it in pretty much almost every language. We're, We're at the place where the only languages where the Bible hasn't been translated is where the where they don't even actually have a written language. We have Bible translators inventing written languages for languages that don't have any writing so that we can give them a Bible. 
We're inventing languages so that people can read the Bible. The Bible's everywhere. Christians are everywhere. Everyone has heard, but who has believed? That's the question. We see here in verse 2 the description of Jesus. He grew up before him, before God the Father, like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He didn't have impressive form or majesty that we should look at him, no appearance that we should desire him. Jesus wasn't born in a palace. He wasn't born, you know, at a nice hospital. We know that he was born in a manger. This is not where you put babies. If you're like, I have a newborn, and that would be a cool place to put a baby. No, you don't do that. (laughs) That's got like cow drool all over it and donkey drool all over it. It's nasty. It's disgusting. You don't do that to a baby. In in a cave, potentially, that they put animals into? Have you been in a building with animals in it? I'm not talking about nice, well-manicured dogs. I'm talking about livestock. Nasty. Disgusting. Jesus... I'm going to turn this down a little more so I can see it better. Jesus came as a root in dry ground. Uh, a shoot sticking up out of the dirt. When you see just like cracked earth and you see that little green shoot coming up, you think to yourself, if it doesn't rain, that shoot is going to die, right? That shoot has nothing that it's drawing from. When, when the dirt is all cracked and it's super dry, especially here in Pittsburgh where it's all clay, right? Like when, when clay gets dry, it turns into pottery. There's nothing growing in that. If you've dug in dry clay, you know what I'm talking about, right? It turns into a rock. Jesus came as this root or this shoot in the dry ground, like a young plant coming out of the dry ground. Jesus didn't, wasn't nourished by his environment, right? He didn't, he didn't uh, draw love and affection from from the the cattle that he was born with. He had to flee very early in his life to Egypt because all the kids his age were going to get murdered in the town that he was in and the whole region. So he had to flee to Egypt, hide in Egypt for a while as a refugee. Now, if you're if you're a um, if you're looking at uh, the, the spectrum of, uh, of grievances, like, that's popular today, right? You know, the more, the more points of, of uh, persecution you have against you, the, the more, more right you have to speak about everything. Well, Jesus is racking up some points here. He's a refugee. Okay, he's Middle Eastern, so he's not white. So we got that too. His dad disappears along the way here. Raised by his mother. We don't know when Joseph disappears out of the question. He moves up to Galilee, which is like, it's like eastern Kentucky or like West Virginia, okay? It's, it's the place where hillbillies come from. You see this constantly in the Gospels. Everyone's like, 
No prophets ever come from Galilee. Ha, 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 ha. They're always laughing at him. Someone's like, he's a prophet. He's speaking for God. They're not like, well, let's see if he has something important to say. No, they're like, he comes from Galilee? Seriously? You're listening to this guy? Come on. Nobody listens to people from Galilee. He's a refugee, an exile. He was born out of wedlock. And back in that day, a small town, there's got to be some rumors about that going around too. Some names that I don't know if we can say on YouTube or whatever. The B word, right? That used to mean more. But all these things are showing that he is not someone who has lived a privileged life. So he has, it has been revealed to us that God's love by Jesus taking on discomfort. We can say, well, Jesus had to suffer and die on the cross. Okay. Why did he come 33 years earlier and suffer? Why didn't he just teleport down? Okay, crucify me. Let's do this. Or maybe he could just come down right at the start of his ministry. Okay, let's do this. But we see descriptions here that not only was his life difficult, but more than that, he grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. Um, I, uh, <laughs> I was looking for a quote. You know how it is when you're looking for a quote, you just type it into Google and you're like, somebody's got to have said it, right? Well, no one said it, so I'm going to quote myself. <laughs> um, if you're not rich, beautiful, or talented, you need to work. <laughs> is that true? Yeah. We've all seen rich, talented, beautiful people um, that, uh, that don't really seem to have to work. <laughs> There's this thing called Instagram, I think, and money comes out of that or something. Um, so, uh, so Jesus having no beauty or majesty. Nobody looked at him and said, wow, he's got it all together. Wow, he has stuff that I can, uh, I want what he has. Nobody ever said that about Jesus. So he took on service. He had to work. We're told um, tradition or old translations will tell us that he was a carpenter. Uh, Sort of. He was a builder. That's a better translation. He was a builder. So he, what did he build? We don't know. We don't know. He, he built stuff. And while we like to glamorize how he was a cool woodworking guy, he made little carved things and gave them to people because, you know, he's love. The reality is he probably was moving stones and making stone walls. He was reinforcing those stone walls with, has anyone built a retaining wall before? <laughs> A few of you cringed. <laughs> it's not fun. Building walls is really, really terrible, backbreaking, awful, and frustrating work. It's, it's rough work. Digging into a hillside is bad enough, but then just all the things that go along with that. We see that he took on the discomfort, right? Little baby, 
that's, that's not great. They're always crying, right? So they must not like that. I don't remember back that far, so we'll just kind of go on that. A little, a little boy. Mm. If you're God of the universe, that's probably not a stage that's like super awesome either. A son, a teenager. Who here would wish for their teenage years again? Well, you, like, you wish for the teenage body again, but you don't wish for the teenage years again. You know what I mean? The drama and just, you just don't understand how the world works. And it's confusing and upsetting and scary. And all the things you think you know, over the years it's going to be shown, you're going to learn from painful experience that that's not how the world works. So it's not super great. And it really, a lot of that kind of hits you in the young adult years, right? For those of you younger, you have so much to look forward to. It's wonderful. Um, (laughs) He's a Galilean, right? So he was poor, oppressed, unsafe. He was in the Roman Empire, but he wasn't a Roman. I want you to go in your mind over to what you've been seeing over in Gaza, between Gaza and Israel. And I want you to imagine the Israelites in the Gaza place. Um, and then basically Rome in Israel's place. And that's basically kind of an idea of what it was like back then. The, the Jews wanted their own nation and they, they were doing... No, I'm not equating. I'm not equating, okay? But, you know, when we hear Judas Iscariot, he was a terrorist. We don't know if he murdered anyone, but like, they would like, go up and stab people. In a crowd, they get up behind a Roman and stab them. That's the kind of stuff they did. They wanted their independence. And so Jesus, he didn't kill people, right? But he's in this oppressive environment. He's not a Roman. He's from Galilee, a place that everyone laughs at him every time they hear where he's from or hears his accent, right? And he has no beauty or majesty to kind of lean on. He's... He's not the the guy that everybody looks to and goes, he's got it all together. Look at that flowing hair, that perfectly manicured beard. Awesome, right? He floats over the ground, blessing people. Children chase after him because he's just so amazing. No, no beauty or majesty. He served, he worked. People weren't like all coming up to him. You know, he didn't just stand on the hillside and just kind of like, all the people will come to me. Jesus went from town to town to town to town to town. He was a door-to-door salesman for Jesus, for God. <laughs> That's what he did. He, he went from town to town. He went through all the villages. And not only that, but then he took his disciples. And he sent them out to all the villages. They went from place to place to place to place to place. And he said, when you go to a town... And they reject you, or they run you out of town, just go on to the next one. (laughs) Wait a minute, you mean everyone wasn't accepting of this? Everyone wasn't like, oh, you're one of Jesus' disciples, we've been waiting for you. He's like, well, some places will be like that, others won't be. When you get to those places that don't accept you, just keep moving. Jesus walked into some towns, and they ran him out of town. He found the occasional person... Who didn't? We find sometimes Jesus' circle was very small. The massive crowd came out to him. 
because they want free food. Things don't change, right? <laughs> Jesus was giving out free food, and everyone's like, oh, let's go. Some of the people in there were like, you need food for an army. If you have food, you can train, and everyone can be off from work, and they can just train, and then we can build an army. Let's, let's make Jesus king. And then Jesus starts talking about eating my flesh and drinking my blood. He's basically telling everyone to get lost. And they leave. He looks at his 12 disciples and he says, are you going to leave too? (laughs) Jesus knew the answer to that. But did the disciples? (laughs) Or were the disciples kind of going, this is getting kind of weird. I don't understand what he means. And I'm too afraid or ashamed to ask what he means. Maybe we should just kind of leave. Maybe come back uh, when he's doing another one of the miracle sessions. Jesus worked hard. He got no preferential treatment. And for us, let's just admit it. You're sitting on a padded chair in a climate-controlled sanctuary, right? We have it good. Anyone worried about... uh, the government busting in the doors and arresting everybody. We have the lights on. We're not hiding. We're tax exempt. <laughs> Over in India, it's not the same. Many parts of the world, it's not the same. We are rich. We are privileged. And a lot of you are pretty good looking. So you got that too. Jesus had to overcome these things. That's not just it. He was despised and rejected by mankind. A man of suffering, familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hid their faces. He was despised and we held him in low esteem. We're going to have some honesty time here. Last time you were downtown in a city and there was a homeless person. Weren't quite sure where they started with the hair, and maybe you could smell them from a ways away. Did you kind of hide your face from them? Did you make eye contact? Are you picturing the kind of person I'm talking about here? The Bible says that was Jesus. Am I destroying some of your picture of Jesus with Scripture? <laughs> We like to romanticize Jesus' life floating across the earth with his flowing hair. Come on. He didn't have shampoo and conditioner. That didn't happen. <laughs> right? He was Middle Eastern, so he probably had curly hair too. So anyway, our picture of Jesus is, is totally off. This is the picture of Jesus that we get from Scripture. He was despised and rejected by mankind. Is that, when you think of Jesus on earth, is that, are those the first words that come to your mind? Despised and rejected. Jesus knew that was going to happen. He created all the heavens and the earth. He came down and willingly took that on. Remember, he didn't skip this part. He took it on. Only in Jesus can we comprehend the love of God. 
God's love for you started there in the manger. Went to there. That's why they're together here on the stage, right? To remind us. It wasn't all fluffy bunnies and cute lambs that were well-washed and white as snow and, oh, they're so cute until they get out into the thorns and thistles and they start wallowing them in the mud and start really stinking. Uh, If you haven't worked with sheep, I can get how the, the, the manger scene looks really enticing and so peaceful and calm. No, it's not. Okay, there were probably animals like biting Joseph and like, you know, something was probably hissing at him and like it was probably not good. So who has believed? Do we take on rejection? That's where we're going with all this. Jesus is our example. We understand and, and can conceive the love of God and... Spoiler alert, that's where we're going. We're told to imitate Jesus. This is what we're supposed to do too. He was despised and rejected. A man of suffering familiar with pain. Suffering and pain, is that another thing that you think of immediately when you think of Jesus? Not just the cross. He was a man acquainted with suffering. And pain. His whole life. What does that mean? I don't know. But we see the things that Jesus wept over. He wept over the people that kept rejecting God. One of the greatest philosophers of our time said, We seem to be made to suffer. It is our lot in life. That's C-3PO, the droid from Star Wars. <laughs> but, but it's kind of true, isn't it? It seems like it's our lot in life to suffer, isn't it? As you go through life, that seems kind of like the ultimate purpose, it, it seems like. That's where everything kind of goes to. Jesus took on our humanity. Where's all that pain and suffering come from? If you know your Bibles, you know where we're going. Isaiah 53, 4. Surely he took our pain. He took our pain. And bore our suffering. And how did we reward him? We considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. That didn't go so well. He took up our pain. Anyone ever do this for anybody else? You know, you help someone bear their load and then it kind of leads to you getting kind of crushed and then they look at you like you're the one who has the problem. (laughs) Whether you're running out your finances trying to help a child or some family member who's gotten themselves into trouble and then that leads to your financial difficulties or whether that's emotionally or you spend all of your time serving someone else and then you don't have any time for yourself. Anyone relating? He took our pain. But not only that. 
but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. By his wounds we are healed. Now in that we see the cross. It's amazing how many times Jesus says to his disciples, it's not yet my time. Now I can just imagine all the disciples that are chomping the bit. Yeah, it's almost time. <laughs> yes, here we go. We're going to be we're going to be princes. We're going to be ruling over cities. Jesus is going to kick those Romans out of here. We're going to have epic battles. Peter and some of the other disciples had their swords out, and they're practicing, you know, in the garden. When the servant of the high priest comes up to, to seize Jesus, Peter's ready. He's got his sword out. He's been practicing. He hasn't been practicing very well. He misses and barely cuts the guy's ear off. He misses the head. Um, but they're ready for this. They're like, they're ready for Jesus' time is coming. The rule on earth is coming. It's going to be glorious and epic. But Jesus wasn't talking about sitting on a throne, he was talking about that. The time is coming that I'm going to die in your place and you will be set free. The rest of their lives, the disciples, the apostles, were persecuted everywhere they went. They were in hiding for fear of their lives. Every one of them, according to tradition, was martyred except for John, and bad things happened to him. He might have wished that he had died from the pain. Jesus said, my time is coming. And he wasn't talking about good things. He was talking about, it's not my time to go to Jerusalem and to die upon the cross. But through that, he brought us healing. Through his suffering, he paid the penalty for our sins. If you don't think your sins are that serious, look again. God in heaven did not say, you're forgiven, it's okay. Don't worry, it's not a big deal. Everybody does that. God doesn't say that. God sent his son, the third person of the Trinity. God himself came to earth, lived, suffered, bled and died to forgive our sins. Our sins were that serious. I told you we're coming here. Ephesians chapter 5 verses 1 through 2. Therefore be imitators of God as dearly loved children. If you understand, if you believe, just as it said back there, right? Who has believed what we have heard. Who has believed what we have heard? Therefore, if you understand that you are dearly loved children, walk in love. Oh, I'm going to walk in Jesus' love. That's not what it's saying. Walk in love. Just in case you could be missing, missing the point there. As Christ loved us and gave himself for us. What does it look like for us to walk in love? Imitators of God. Once you hear 
the love of God and you believe the love of God, imitate it to other people. Walk in love as Jesus Christ loved us. Be imitators, walk in love. And you don't get to define what that means. Not warm fuzzies for everybody. Sacrifices for everybody. That's what we're called to. Jesus took on discomfort for us. He took on service. He took on rejection. He took on the pain and suffering of our humanity. He took on our pain so that he could bring us healing. Do you think the, uh, the 12 disciples, well, the 11 disciples, <laughs> do you think they got it? Do you think they got what Jesus was teaching them to do? How'd they live their lives? Did they believe? Let's look at the rest of their lives. Did they believe? Participation? Yes. <laughs> they lived their lives, lives of sacrifice for others. They said, when Jesus said, my time is not yet here, I thought he was talking about thrones and ruling and fancy parties. But when I discovered that Jesus was talking about suffering, sacrifice, taking on other people's pain, I believed. And then they lived their lives in such a way that we cannot dispute that they heard and they believed. So what about us? Do you believe in the kingdom of God? There's a fancy party after the service and it's going to be awesome for the ladies. For the men, there's probably going to be a bunch of men kind of hanging around up here waiting for their wives to get done. Uh, <laughs> looking at their phones, doing something, chatting. Some of you brought two cars, that's good. You're going to just go home. But the ladies are going to have a fancy party and it's going to be great. And that's not the knock against when we have the opportunity to celebrate each other's presence. That's awesome. But what sacrifices are you making for other people? Some of you make serious sacrifices for your children. Is it easy? No, it's not, right? I'm not speaking from experience, but I see you guys. I hear you guys. I talk to you guys. You guys make serious sacrifices for your children, not just because you're, they're your children, but because you want to see them follow after Jesus. Some of you make serious sacrifices to serve here in the church. The lawn doesn't cut itself. I know. Burst that myth. So many things need to happen in order for us to gather here together, for luncheons to happen, for us to outreach to our communities. Volunteers need to make sacrifices. It's not just you just add more to your life, add some volunteering to your life. You need to subtract from things you want to do in order to accomplish the things that need to happen for the kingdom of God, right? That's the reality. Parents, you know that. You have to sacrifice what you want to do in order to serve your children. And you need to make sacrifices in order to serve the kingdom of God too. It's, it costs us something. If your Christianity, if your faith doesn't cost you anything, 
You got that warm fuzzy, but it ain't love. It ain't love. We measure Jesus' love by what he did, what he sacrificed, what he gave up for us, what he did for us. There's a list. That's a short list. It's a summary list. It's, it's a brief summation of how we know Jesus loved us and loves us. So the question is, what do we bring to those around us? Are we walking in Jesus' footsteps? Are we imitators of God? Do we walk in love as Jesus loved us and made sacrifices for us? That's the challenge. Steve, you have it all together, don't you? I know you're all looking at me and like, Steve's got it all together, right? You all know me well enough to know I don't have it all together. But this is the biblical standard. This is what we're moving towards. This is what the Holy Spirit within us wants to make us a community of. A community of a family that will take their jacket off and give it to you if you need a jacket. Family that will give you a car if you need a car. Real sacrifices. Real love. We're going to take up an offering at this time. And if you have your communicator cards, uh, we have people to take up the offering, I think. Maybe we do, maybe we don't. If we have a, a few gentlemen... We make gifts. But if you have a communicator card, if you're a visitor, please drop that in the basket as it comes by. If you have a prayer request, drop in the basket. You can also drop in the back afterwards. But what does our lives really cost us? Does our love really cost us? There's so many opportunities to volunteer, so many opportunities to serve in our church, family. You just ask and we'll get you plugged in. I know so many of you are working so hard at so many different things. Let me pray for us. Lord God, we, we can't understand your love. As we look at this list, it, it's so overwhelming. We want to go back to last week where we were just trying to wrap our brains around the Trinity and not try to understand your love. And then, in some ways, the harder thing is to understand how we can truly love those around us. Lord, help us to walk in that. To be changed. For the world to see us changed. And for our love to be true and genuine. Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' powerful name.